those of you just joining us today and haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we're in the midst of a sermon series about our vision, about our vision. And we take this time of the year each and every year as we're getting the school year kicked off to talk about vision again. And we talk about one side of what we know as our vision frame. We're going to put it up here on the screen for you today. And last week, we talked about mission, our mission, why we're here, why we do what we do. And as we talked about last week, um, every church has the same basic mission. We know it is the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28. Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. But we like to have um, our unique mission statement, and that's what's different church to church, is basically that take our unique uh, mission statement based upon the same mission that each and every church throughout time and history and eternity has been given, which is to go and make disciples. And we said we'd like to follow the language of Jesus himself when people were coming unto him. And we say we'd like to, to, to say it this way, leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus, leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. It's the same language that Jesus used when he called people unto himself to be saved. He said, come and follow me. And we know the, the ultimate outworking of how a person grows in maturity in Jesus Christ is that they will ultimately, not perfectly, but they will live like Jesus Christ. You know, it's kind of funny that the old uh, what would Jesus do bracelets, they became so ubiquitous, they became so almost overblown in culture that they really lost their meaning. But when you think about it at the root of it, that is, man, that's hitting the nail on the head. When we think about what, uh, any decision we might have in life or any situation, whether it be home, work, school, whatever it may be, and we have a decision to make or we need to know what our reaction should be, what my attitude should be, what my choice should be, really one of the greatest questions we can ask ourselves is what would Jesus do? And it's almost unfortunate that it's become so ubiquitous and almost overplayed in culture as a whole that it's really become almost a punchline. Because really at the heart of that, that's exactly a, a wonderful litmus test on how I should be growing in maturity and what does it ultimately look like. So we are leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. Today, we're talking about the side of the vision frame known as values. We ask ourselves, why are we doing it? Well, one, and ultimately because we are glorifying God in all that we do. Number two, we value reaching people, seeing that people come to faith in Jesus Christ that are far from God. We need to have relationships with people that are far from God and far from a relationship with Jesus Christ because that's what it means to be a missionary. That's what we've been called to do, and we should value as a church, as almost overly simplified as it sounds, we can never lose the heart of that, that we should value reaching people, reaching people, and that when we are, as we're reaching, we see life change. We see their lives change, that they are born again in the very words of Jesus Christ, and they begin to change and become more like him, just like and living like Jesus. That happens through, guess what, authentic relationships. It happens through authentic relationships. You see, there's, um, this is wonderful that we're gathered in this setting today, known as a, a worship service, and I am preaching the word of God, or maybe in our Bible study classes, whatever it may be. Those are ways that God uses to help us grow. But we know we're never going to grow as effectively as we should in any local church setting without authentic relationships. Because there is an iron sharpening iron aspect, Proverbs 27, 17, that happens in the midst of authentic, growing Christian relationships. In which we have the strength of relationship to encourage and to challenge one another to grow in our faith. And that happens in the midst of authentic 
relationships. And then also we value what we call lifestyle worship. When again, when we gather together in the midst of what we know as a worship service, whether we be worshiping the Lord through song or through the listening and, and, and reading of the Word of God or through prayer or through gathering of our Bible studies or maybe on the way uh, to church today, you're singing in the car or praying in the car, whatever it may be, all of those expressions of worship are an outflow, an overflow, an outpouring of what should be daily worship in the midst of our lives. We're going to talk about that one, of course, as well as the rest of these in the midst of the sermon. But I wanted to do a unique take this year as we came around to values and asking the question, what needs to happen in our life to begin to value the things that God values? God values these things. What needs to happen in our life for us to value what God values? And as I was praying and walking through Scripture, this Scripture kept coming to mind here, of, of many of us know it well, of abiding in Christ of abiding in Christ. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this passage of abiding in Christ and what it means to abide in him. And as we do, fruit uh, becomes part of our lives. And in the midst of this too, the interesting thing about this is is in the midst of this uh, 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 passage on abiding with Christ, we also see some of these things come to the forefront as well. But we want to ask the question today, how are we going to value what God values? And we do it in relationship with Jesus Christ and abiding in him. Listen to this. We will never accomplish our mission until we value what God values. We will never accomplish our mission until we value what God values. Abide in Jesus Christ and you will continue to value those things. We will never accomplish our mission until we value what God values. And how do we do it? Abide in Jesus and you will continue to value those things. Here's what we're going to do. Let's turn down to chapter 15 of the book of John. And starting in verse 1, I want to read the first few verses to you today as we begin to break this down. Jesus Christ says, and I love this whole passage here. I know this is a passage that's near and dear to many hearts as well because it's such a powerful word picture. It's such a powerful picture, not only the illustration that he uses, and it's so clever, but of the power of the meaning behind this, of we draw our lifeblood from himself, from Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, the one who, uh, the one who prunes, the one who is dressing that vine, the, the gardener, if you will. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. He's again speaking to his followers here, and this uh, rings true for the rest of us as well that are followers of Jesus Christ. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit in and of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither you unless you abide in me. Lord Jesus, as we come to this morning to the word here, this eternal truth, Help us to remember that we can do nothing without you, and we must abide in you. We are powerless without your power. Lord God, help us to wean ourselves off. Help us to have conviction and help us to to, to repent of even our, our, our going back to our old way of life, of trying to do things our way and in our own strength, in our own power, in our own stubbornness, Lord. We often wonder why are we running the ship of our life aground? Why are we facing difficulty? Why are we facing unnecessary pain? 
Why are we facing unnecessary uh, issues in life? And oftentimes it is because we have walked away from the simple calling and admonition for those who are believers in Jesus to abide in him. God, help us to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his great name we do pray. Amen. So the very first thing that we see here in verses 1 through 4 is very simply, abide in me. Jesus himself said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. You see, the interesting thing about this uh, illustration that he uses, and again, it's an extremely powerful illustration that any, any and all of us understand. If you've done any yard work at all, if you've worked with any shrubs or trees or vines or bushes, whatever it may be, you get this illustration. You realize that Jesus, he said, I am the vine, I am the source. I am the one in which that, that nourishment flows through. I am the one who is the lifeblood of the believer. And guess what he says? He says, and my father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He is the one that does the work, as we'll continue to see in, in a couple of verses. He's the one that does the work of pruning the vine, of, of strengthening each one of the branches. Now, here's what he says very interestingly in verse 2, though. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He takes away. So here's where we got to make sure that in any sort of parable, we don't make it walk on all fours. We understand that the branch is, speaks of believers in Jesus Christ. Does this mean that we can lose our faith? Does this mean that we were once a true branch, but then we sinned enough that we've lost our faith? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's speaking of exactly what we saw in the first century, exactly what we oftentimes see in the 21st century, and every century in between in the history of the Christian church is that there are people that are steeped, in, just as they were in the first century, in religiosity. Those that believe they're believers in Jesus Christ and their lives have been changed, or maybe they feel like they're good because they do enough religious things and churchy-type things, and they feel that they're good with God. And they had the appearance of being a true branch, but they never truly were. Maybe in the 21st century, it's, uh, we're steeped in sort of quote-unquote church life and our own version, 21st century version of religiosity. But all in all, we were never truly a branch, if you will. We were never a believer in Jesus Christ because we were never born again. Again, a person who is a Christian, which means little Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ, one who is saved, adopted into the family of God, forgiven and cleansed, and has a hope of heaven, is the person who, in the very words of Jesus Christ himself, I say it every week, he said, Jesus said, repent and believe. Turn from your old way of life and turn to me. Surrender your life unto me. Follow me. Follow me. It's not a matter of how many religious things that we do or how good of an appearance on the outside we may have, but it's a matter of are we saved? Are we born again? Remember, the, Jesus' greatest opposition of his day was from the Pharisees, who he said were like whitewashed sepulchers. They were like whitewashed tombs. So in the midst of that tomb is all sort of rottenness, all sorts of death and decay, but what would happen? You'd come by and you'd whitewash it. You'd paint it over. It looks nice and pretty on the outside, but inside it's dead. It's dead. And whether it be the, 20, the first century or our 21st century today, there are those, maybe even today in our midst, that are relying upon their own version of religiosity, relying upon their own good works to hopefully be right with God 
relying upon maybe I've done enough good things to be right with God. And he says, that's not it at all. You're never truly a branch in this illustration. You are never truly a believer. But he says, repent. Turn away from your old way of life. Turn away from your own uh, supposed ability to save yourself. And turn towards Jesus. Surrender your life unto him. So he says, every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He takes it away and reveals them for what it is. But what does he do? For every branch, and every branch here in the second part of verse 2, and every branch that bears fruit, what does he do? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, oftentimes when we look, say, at the book of James, and he talks about, you have your faith. Well, guess what? I have my works. And say, oh, gosh, well, does this sort of bring contradiction about in the Bible? Does this bring an opposition between faith by uh, faith alone, or is it faith by works? No, it's not at all. One of the best illustrations of that dynamic in Scripture is that Paul and James were not opposed whatsoever, but they were back-to-back fighting different battles. Paul was fighting the battle of those who sought to earn their salvation. James, on the other hand, was fighting the battle of those that thought, okay, I've got my salvation. Does that mean I need to do any good works? I can do what I want. No, and James was saying, guess what? Your good works or your fruit in this case will bear out the fact that you truly are saved. Your good works don't save you, but if you truly are abiding in Christ and you are bearing good fruit, guess what? You have proven. You are proving out the fact that you truly are saved and Jesus Christ has changed your life, that you are born again. Now, an interesting thing here, when we look at fruit throughout this passage, we'll see that several translators and those that have preached this for years and years and years look at maybe, is this good fruit? Is this the good fruit of good works? Or is this the good fruit of good works that's really the fruit of seeing people come to faith in Christ? And I think the answer is yes. Whether it be just good works, general good works of our life, bearing good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, if you will, that we see in Galatians chapter 5, or whether it's the fruit of seeing people come to faith in Christ, Either way, and I think, in fact, at the end of this passage in verse 16, that might be the emphasis that's being, leaning, that's being leaned towards there in that, in that verse. But either way, the answer is yes. Our good works, the fruit of our salvation, doesn't save us, but yet it shows that we are growing in him and we are abiding in him. God is using all things, in fact, to shape you. So those that are bearing fruit that are truly showing that, yes, they are saved and they are growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he do? He prunes them so that they might grow more. He prunes them so they might grow more. And again, if you've done any sort of yard work with shrubs or trees or whatever it may be, you understand this. You might go out at a certain time and, and uh, a bush in your yard's looking a little peaked. I can think of a particular uh, bush or two in our yard that really, if you don't keep it trimmed, if you don't keep it pruned, the whole thing looks, starts to look a little peaked. Not just by the appearances, but the, but the root, if you will, is trying, and, and the, the heart of that tree is trying to push lifeblood and, and trying to push that nourishment to places that are dead. So you've got to prune them. You've got to prune them so that the, the entirety of that plant, that tree, that bush is strengthened. And in the same way, God is doing that for you. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are bearing good fruit uh, that, that is proving out your salvation, guess what? He is still in the midst of your life looking to prune. Sometimes that's through encouraging things in your life, but guess what? Oftentimes it's through difficulty. It is. Because in our stubbornness, in our self-centeredness as, as, as human beings, even those of us who are saved and born again and changed, we can tend towards self-reliance. 
We can tend towards just sort of going about our business and doing things on our own and not abiding in Christ, of which we'll focus on here in just a moment. We can, we can do that so easily. So what does God need to do? He oftentimes needs to bring difficulty into our lives so that we turn our attention back to him. And he doesn't do it in a selfish and petty way. He knows that's exactly what we need. That's what he does to change our life. And so this is here in the midst of this a sermon here on abiding in Christ. This is when we see one of our values kind of come to the forefront. When we're abiding in Christ, we will see life change. Life change. Look at with, with me and read with me on the screen Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. Look at these wonderful verses here on life change. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him, Jesus Christ, as the truth is in Jesus, guess what we're called to do? Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We're going to bring that language back a little bit later as well that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So even for us that have been saved and cleansed and born again, it is an ongoing process in our life as we consecrate ourselves, as we yield ourselves daily to God's work in our life, that he begins to renew us and he begins to renew us in our mind. And we see that life change as we abide in him. We value Life change as a church, and that life change comes as we abide in Christ. Verse 3, he says this, you are already clean. John chapter 15, verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He's talking about to his, those of us who are following him and immediately in the context of the day, those who are followers of him, that clean speaks of being trimmed. You've already been trimmed. You've already been pruned. Those of us, again, that know faith, know Jesus Christ by faith, we have been changed. We have been cleansed, cleaned in the first and foremost place. We have been trimmed, which is the process that continues in the rest of our life. We see this very much akin to the refining work of God in our lives, whether it be uh, the, the aspect of the potter in Jeremiah where he says we are like clay in the hand of the potter. He is molding us and shaping us. Or whether it be the refining fire image that we see throughout Scripture as well. Job chapter 23, verse 10. He, he says, uh, you know the way that I take and you have, you have refined me. You have refined me in your furnace. And says, and then I will come forth as gold. It's this refining picture that we know very well of something being heated so that the impurity, the dross in Scripture might be scraped from the top and you're left with a pure uh, product. Very much like the abiding in Christ and being pruned and trimmed, we see the refining power of God in our lives. But what does he say here in the last verse, verse 4 of this particular section? Abide in me. Abide in me, what a wonderful word, what a wonderful statement and phrase and picture. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Folks, when we're saved, we're not saved and then just sort of sent off on our own. We are saved, and then we go through the process of being sanctified. The Lord is the one who is working in our lives to make us daily more and more like Jesus Christ. He doesn't save us and then send us off on our own. We're called to abide in him. 
Remain in him. We see it 11 times uh, in, in this book of the Bible. Abide in him. Remain. That's what it means. Find your rest in him. As one commentator said, it is this idea of an effortless resting in the Lord. An effortless daily resting in him in which you are confident in all the blessings of the promise of a believer in Jesus Christ. And because of it, you have this effortless daily consistent resting in him. You know, today in our prayer time here uh, before our services in Bible study, we talked today about uh, uh, unceasing prayer. I just kind of taught, prayed about unceasing prayer, and we see this in Scripture as well. This idea of not that you're just constantly walking around with one unending chant as if it's some sort of a work-based calling, but it's that we are always to be in the spirit of the very first thing that we do, whether it's a decision that is a difficult decision or a good decision, or maybe there's no decision at all. It's just general communion with God that we are always in the spirit of what is the first thing we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to talk with our Lord. We're going to have a conversation with him, whether it's a difficulty, whether it's a a good time, or whether there's no real decision at all. We just want to have communion with him. We are always in prayer. That's one of the ways, very practically, that we abide in him. We abide in him through his word. We abide in him through his word. Are we spending time with him right here? Guess what? This isn't just sort of an instruction manual, but this is the very heart of God on the page. When we spend time in his word, we spend time with him. We spend time with him in his word and in prayer and then in obedience, listening to him, trusting him, saying essentially, God, you know what? I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to allow you to work today in my life. I'm going to do what I know you called me to do, and I'm going to trust you that in and I might bear fruit, and I might find my joy. This, this fruit that we see, of course, here is, is the fruit of the Spirit, not only of the, of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we also, again, as I mentioned before, very well may speak to the fruit of those that we see come to faith in Christ through God's efforts working in us. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit in and of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So abide in me, we see in verses 1 through 4. And secondly, in verses 5 through 8, very simply and very directly, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. In verse 5, he says again, I am the vine. We see the repetition of this uh, wonderful picture here. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me, he who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, For again, without me, you can do nothing. Folks, there is no middle ground. There's no middle ground. Um, uh, The branch that has dropped from the tree or has been trimmed from the tree does not bear fruit any longer. We have two very big trees in our front yard, uh, two very big uh, oak trees in our front yard, plus another tree that's of good size in our front yard. We have a big ash tree, and we have another big tree, which I'm not sure what it is, but it's a tree. And it's back there, plus a myriad of bushes. We are always cleaning up branches. Whether they fall from the tree after a big rainstorm, I've seen some, some knowing nods of people that also have a similar yard. Whether it be knocking them out from a big rainstorm or whether we have to trim them out, we are always collecting branches. We are collecting them, big, small, everywhere in between. Some we have to saw up. Some we can just use the loppers and get them. Some we can just break and put in the trash can. We are always 
handling branches. Now, here's the thing. There is not a one of those dead branches, whether I cut it off or whether it's fallen off, that in and of itself is going to start bearing fruit again. It's not because it is no longer connected to the source. It can do nothing on its own. This is exactly the point that Jesus was getting across here. We have been sent out as missionaries into our world to bear good fruit of good works, but also to bear fruit of seeing people come to faith in Christ. And lest we think we go on our own, he tells us again, as we talked about last week, he gives us the picture in 1 Corinthians um, of, of, the, of, the, of being jars of clay. And inside, we have the treasure in those jars of clay. He's making the point that, guess what? Don't go out and, and think it's all on you to try to win people to Christ in your own power. And that it's up to your power of persuasion or you're some sort of a cosmic salesman. And if you're not good at being a salesman, then you're not going to close the deal. He's not saying that at all. He says you are going with the treasure. It doesn't matter how good you think you are at selling the product. The product is treasure, an immense treasure. And he says you don't go in your own power. You go, in fact, in his power and you go with a tremendous treasure. We go and we live and, and, and we go and we walk in his power and we go and we walk in bearing fruit. And as we go, we go living and we live out good works and we go bearing fruit and we go living out lifestyle of worship. You see, when we say without me, you can do nothing, we see another one of our values come to the, come to the forefront here. We see lifestyle worship. We bear much fruit. We bear much fruit. Again, as we talked about um, just a few moments ago, uh, worship, when we come into a place like this, where we, when we gather for corporate worship, it is an outpouring of the entirety of our life. How are we worshiping God daily? We are worshiping him by bearing fruit, by living lives that reflect his glory, living lives that reflect his goodness, living lives that reflect uh, what he has called us to do and what he has called us to. In so doing, we live lives of lifestyle worship. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What does he say? How do we do this? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and by extension, our lives. And so we worship the Lord daily by living lives that honor him and glorify him with our actions, with our lives. And in so doing, we gather together in a place like this on Sunday morning as an outpouring of, of lives that have lived through the week in worship unto him. He says, again, without me, you can do nothing. And if anyone, verse 6 of John chapter 15, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and has gathered them and to throw them in the fire and they are burned. You know, see, we can't do it um, outside of a little fire pit that I have where I live. But my father-in-law, when we're trimming things out of his hedgerows, uh, when we're trimming things out along the, the, the streets and along the, the dirt roads, we gather those things up and we burn them. We burn them, right? We, we take those things. They're no longer useful and they're burned. Now, here's the, here's the powerful picture here that, that uh, Jesus is giving. 
He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, withered. They're gathered them together, thrown them in the fire, and they're burned. This is, talks about those that have been relying upon their own religiosity. Those, whether they be in a first century example of those that he gathered with together or those that he was gathered with in, 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 in these gatherings out in the community and these, there were these uh, Pharisees that were, were, were gathered in those groups as well that were those whitewashed sepulchers, those whitewashed tombs. By, by example, even just in the first century there, he says that they will be gathered and thrown into the fire. It's speaking of that ultimate, uh, that they are not in Christ. They are not in God, but they are gathered, and they will ultimately face judgment of a devil's hell. And as difficult as that may be, and as uh, un-PC as that might be in our world today, we know that Jesus Christ is the most loving person that has ever walked the face of this earth, but he spoke greatly about hell. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, withered. They're gathered them, thrown them into the fire, and they are burned. You see, again, these folks are relying upon their religiosity. But what does he say in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23? Again, Jesus is, is the one speaking here, and he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let us not rely upon our religiosity. Let us not uh, find our hope in ourselves, but let us abide in him and let us come to faith in him. He says again in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, I, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. Gosh, does this mean we got a blank check? We got a blank check from God and we just put on it whatever we want. We can put on any sort of object or any sort of monetary amount. We can ask truly for whatever we want. I think we know that there's something more at play than that. When we abide in him, our hearts, our desires begin to conform to his. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. Verse 8, by this, by this, by our bearing fruit, and are abiding in him. By this, my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. You see, we also see in the midst of this another one of our values. In fact, the, the umbrella value, if you will, that value of glorifying God. In the midst of our lives, lived in lifestyle worship, bearing fruit, we in all of it will be bringing glory not unto ourselves, not unto our church, but we are bringing glory unto God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, therefore, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. The great C.S. Lewis says this, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Lest you think it's some sort of nebulous idea, we glorify God for his sake and his sake alone, but we can always, we always have a tendency to think, okay, what does that do for me? That should never be our focus. That should never be what we turn to. That should never be our motivation. But in the end, a great C.S. Lewis tells us the great truth here, and he's absolutely spot on in commanding us to glorify him. God is inviting us to enjoy him. It's not as so it's some sort of, again, a distant deity that we venerate and we receive nothing from it, but we glorify him and we are doing exactly what we are created to do, which is to worship the God of heaven. And in so doing, we enjoy him. We find that is exactly where we're called to be. 
So he says in verses 1 through 4, abide in me. 5 through 8, without me you can do nothing. And verses 9 through 15, abide in my love. Very first verse here. Let's just read that and stop there. As the Father loved me, Jesus says, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. We can gloss right over that if we're not careful. I mean, wow. Think about that that the God of the universe cares about you. No matter how insignificant you may think you are, the God of the universe numbers the hairs on your head. He knows you and he cares for you. If you keep my commandments, verse 10, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus isn't being petty here. He's just framing the situation for exactly what it is. He is the son of God on earth, and he has called us to do what he knows is always right. He isn't taking a stab in the dark. He isn't trying to fish around, trying to find the right answer. He always knows what's right, and he has called us to do what is right and best for us. And he is the son of God on earth. And so to do anything less than that, we can't say that we love him. We can't say that we love him and then walk in disobedience because he's always called us to do what is right. But he says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Here's the thing. Try as we might, whether we try to find our joy in the approval of others. And guess what? That's not just something that happens with teenagers or kids. We're really good at that, too, as adults, trying to find our approval in other people, what other people think about us. It may be just the, the label of peer pressure in high school, but it's keeping up with the Joneses when we're adults. We're trying to find our joy in the approval of others. Or maybe we're trying to find our joy, our joy in the amassing of things. Or maybe we're trying to find our joy in, in the accumulation of wealth. Or maybe we're trying to find our joy in the accomplishment of, of, of certain Uh, things at work or projects or whatever it may be. But if we're not trying to find our joy, if we're not finding our joy in him, we will ultimately run aground and realize that those things run out. Try as we might, we will ultimately only find our joy in him. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ himself was the benchmark. He lived this out. He ultimately went to the cross to die on the cross. He ultimately went to sacrifice himself, and not only through his ultimate sacrifice, but also through his life, he set the benchmark on what it means to live and to love others, to live and to love others. And he knew in the midst of these relationships, especially with his inner 12 and his inner three, he lived this out for three years. For three years, he was showing and modeling exactly what it took to raise up a group of 12 and, in fact, an inner three to raise them up to be able to send them off into the world. And this was the, this was the Son of God. This was the perfect Jesus Christ. And he knew that they would grow best and they would bear more fruit in the midst of authentic relationships, the love that was shown. Not only does he show love unto us, but his model, his benchmark is the love that we are to share with one another 
in the midst of this local church, in the midst of our, our, our rubbing shoulders with one another and our iron sharpening iron with one another, we too are to bear out that love in the midst of these authentic relationships. This is, in fact, why God has told us there's no such thing as, in my words, a Lone Ranger Christian. There is no such thing as someone who lives on an island. Hebrews 10.24 tells us this, And let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. He says, as, as we are coming to the culmination Whenever it may be that the Lord returns, even more motivation that we should be stirring one another up. We should be stoking that fire within one another. We Just as we need to turn the embers and stoke the fire so that it might glow and might flame again, so we are called to do in the midst of a local church. We cannot do that on our own. We can't do that by just listening to sermons. We can't do that by just listening to a televangelist on TV. Those things are good for other edification, but we need the local church. And we don't need to just attend. We need to come and we need to plant our lives in the midst of a local church that we might stir each other up to love and good works, to love and good works. You're my friends if you do what I command you. Again, not petty at all. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not have what his master, know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, Jesus Christ says, to those of us who know him as our Lord and Savior, those who follow him. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. No longer servants, but friends. And he tells us here in these final two verses, go and bear fruit. Go and bear fruit. Go and bear fruit. Verse 16, and you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, appointed you, sent you out that you might go and bear fruit. This is the verse, in fact, that I think along with bearing fruit of the Spirit, I think may very well speak to that fruit of, of people, the fruit of people, seeing people come to faith in Christ. And in the midst of this, we do again see one of our values of reaching people, reaching people. Luke 15, 17. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven for one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons, ones who think they are just and righteous, who think they need no repentance. Over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And he says, and your fruit should remain. And your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give you again as we abide in him as we live in him and walk in him and we abide in him, our values, our heart, our desires begin to align with him. And he says, and finally, as he closes, and these things I command you, that you love one another. Very simply, I think throughout this, we are asking and answering the question of what does this mean for me? But let us ask it formally and answer it in just one way here. What does this mean for me? Listen to this. When we value what God values, when we value what God values, we won't overvalue what the world values. One of the quickest ways to derail our abiding in him and walking in him and our effectiveness for the gospel as missionaries wherever we're called is when we begin to overvalue what the world values. We see this, we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, bringing back to mind that famous passage of Matthew chapter 6. 
when we store up, he tells us, don't store up your treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up your treasure in heaven. Work your life, he's saying. Work your life for things that have eternal value. If we work our lives for things of this world that the world values, we will ultimately not take them to eternity. But if we spend our life bearing fruit, abiding in Christ and bearing fruit of good works and bearing fruit of seeing people come to faith in Christ, guess what? Those things have eternal worth and value. When we value what God values, we won't overvalue what the world values. And one more time again here as we close today, we will never accomplish our mission until we value what God values. Abide in Jesus Christ, and we will continue to value those things. Let's pray. Well, God, as we come now uh, to, uh, to this time of prayer and we come to this time of response, Lord God, may you work in the heart of those that are here today, whether it be response this morning or whether it be mulling over what was spoken today in this sermon, what was uh, the word that was given through song, the word that was given in Bible study, Lord, may you bring life-changing conviction in their hearts. May you speak into their, uh, to their heart. May you break down those walls of, of, of resistance. And Lord, may they trust you with their lives. God, for those of us who are here that know Jesus is our Savior, but we are not walking daily abiding in him, God, may we be reminded that that is exactly the seat of growth and change in our life. That's the place of power. That's the place of peace and joy is abiding in him. God, I also pray for those that are here today that maybe for years have been relying upon the church attendance or good work and effort in their life, trying to be generally a good person, and they believe that they're a branch. God, would you speak into their heart today and help them to see that no, there's not enough good works or good things or church attendance, enough church attendance that can make them a child, uh, your child, a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian. But Lord, may they come in the very words of Jesus Christ today and may they repent, turn from their old way of life, and may they believe in him as their Savior and their Lord. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. First of all, during this time of response here in just a few moments as we stand and we sing, what about you? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Do you know him? Have you surrendered your life unto him? If, if, if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is calling you today, I'm going to be back there. I want to speak to 